Alrighty, so I want to thank everybody um, for your hospitality and just how welcoming you all have been. I've gotten the opportunity to um, have lunch with many people, breakfast, dinners, um, just get to know um, a lot of you in just this short amount of time. And it's just been a real blessing um, having you uh, just be so, so welcoming to me. Um, I want to thank Pastor Andrew as well for this opportunity, and um, like he said, I have a lot of stories to tell. Um, He was my youth pastor for three and a half years, so it's kind of brave of him to let me come up here and and talk. Um, I mean, I I could tell the story about how um, on the first day that he came into um, our youth group, how he got the nickname of Bubbles. I could tell that story, um, but I I, I don't know. Um, One of my favorite stories, though, of Pastor Andrew uh, was... This was back in 2017. We were on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. And um, one of the evenings, we had some extra time, and so we were going to go walk down to a frozen yogurt shop um, that was just a short walk from our hotel. And um, we, we, so we all got together, and we started walking and walking and walking, and the frozen yogurt shop was not coming up. And um, we ended up walking around the downtown of the capital of the Dominican Republic for close to an hour in the rain in a foreign country that, um, I don't know if Pastor Andrew had been there before, but none of the rest of us had been there before. We had one person on our team who spoke Spanish, and he was a lifesaver, helping us, um, you know, talk with people, trying to figure out where we're going. Um, He was interpreting for us as we talked to an armed guard with a shotgun outside of a bank, um, and so we, we, we did end up getting to the frozen yogurt spot, and we look, and from the frozen yogurt spot, we can look up and we can see our hotel. We ended up going down the wrong road, um, so it should have been like a, a three-minute walk. It turned up to an hour romp around um, Santo Domingo, so um, that was a lot of fun. I mean, we, we ended up getting um, our frozen yogurt, which is really what we went out for, but, you know, it would have taken like an hour less if Pastor Andrew knew where he was going. <laughs> Thankfully, though, in, in our Christian walk, we have a guide who always knows where we're going and always knows the right road that we are to take. I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem like that at the time, but God always knows uh, what is best for us and is going to lead us in the right path. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 23. That's going to be kind of our home base, but we'll jump around to several other passages. Um, the other passages that I'm going to be referencing I'll have up on the screen, um, so you, you shouldn't need to turn uh, to those. But we'll start out by um, reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to look into your word tonight. I pray that you would help us to come to your scripture with open hearts, um, ready and willing to, to um, see your truth and to learn more about you, and uh, that we would be willing to change anything that you would direct us to change. I pray all this in your name. Amen. 
So Psalm 23 is probably one of, if not the most popular chapters in the Bible. And a lot of us have probably memorized it at some time in our lives. Some of us probably still haven't memorized today. Um, But one of the things that happens when you have a a portion of scripture that is extremely common and it comes up all the time, it's easy to, uh, when you're reading it, just skip through it and not stop and think about what the passage is actually saying. We read the passage, we have an idea of, of what it's about, and it may be a, a pretty accurate idea, but we often fail to, to dig down deep into these passages that we are more familiar with. And I think that that often happens uh, with Psalm 23. Um, one of the things uh, that I'd like to just look at, um, even just in the first phrase there, the Lord is my shepherd. Who is it that it's our shepherd? It's the Lord that is our shepherd. Most of us, when picturing what this chapter is talking about, um, I, Pastor Andrew told me that this was a simple clicker, and I don't know, now it doesn't seem to be turning on. So, I, I, there we go. This doesn't hold the power button. There we go. Most of us, when we think, look at this passage and say, the Lord is my shepherd, this is probably a picture that comes to mind. You know, a picture of Jesus holding a little lamb, and um, we, we think about God's tenderness, his mercy, his kindness, his gentleness. And all of these are true things about who God is. But I think we do ourselves a disservice when this is the only picture that comes to mind when we read this passage. Because there is more to who God is than just his tenderness, gentleness, love, mercy, and these things. So what I want to do is is look at that word Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is this God that is our shepherd? And um, the the word Lord, um, depending on your translation in your Bible, it's it's possibly in all caps. And that's because it is referring to, it's the word um, Jehovah or Yahweh. It's translated as Lord. And um, so one of the first places that we see um, this, I don't know about the first place, but one of the places that this word is explained very well, um, as uh, titled Jehovah is my shepherd, looking at who our God is, is one of the first places we see Jehovah um, really explained what that is, um, is in Exodus 3, when Moses is talking to God um, on Mount Horeb, he's in the wilderness, Um, And God appears to him in a burning bush. And he's telling um, Moses to go um, speak to Israel um, and and to lead Israel out of Egypt. Um, And and Moses says to God, Indeed, when I am come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So uh, this name, um, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, is the name that he's saying is his memorial to all generations. It could be translated literally almost as I am. I am who I am, or I am the one who is. It's um, the idea of God's self-sufficiency that he is dependent on no one. And that's who our shepherd is, is a God who is self-sufficient, who is dependent on no one. 
So we, we look at um, Psalm 23. That's who our shepherd is. Um, we get the, the, the picture of Jesus being our shepherd. And yes, Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus is God. Um, they're, they're one. So saying that Jesus is our shepherd is not inaccurate. But we, we often have those ideas of you know, just tenderness and, and, and love when we, when we think about Jesus. And we miss some of the bigger picture of some of the attributes of who God is. And of course, those also apply um, to Jesus, for he is God. But what I want to do today to start out with is to look through some of the passages of the Old Testament that talk about who our Lord is, some of the things that he's done, so we can see who it is that is our shepherd. Um, and, and some of these are going to be things that are to talk about God and show things that attributes that we normally wouldn't think of when we picture a shepherd. Uh, the first one that I want to look at um, is a little bit further on in Exodus, and it's dealing with Moses again. And this is when they're escaping from Egypt. They're being chased by Pharaoh's armies, and they come to the Red Sea. Um, in verses 13 and 14 of Exodus 14, it says, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, um, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today... You shall see again no more, for the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That's the word Yahweh there again, Jehovah. Jehovah will fight for you. Shepherds, we don't typically think of as fighting for you. I mean, sometimes like a shepherd like David, defending his sheep from a lion, defending his sheep from a bear. But the way in which Jehovah fights for his people in this passage is something that no shepherd has ever done. Um... Uh, in, later on in Exodus 14, you see, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Verse 27, and Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. So, Jehovah God, who is our shepherd, in this passage, saves his people by parting the waters of the sea and bringing them back over Israel's enemies. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of any other shepherd doing something like that. Yet that is who our shepherd is. Um, and, and that brings me to my, to my first point tonight, is that Jehovah is a shepherd of unimaginable power. And we see his power all throughout scripture. Um, we see that in, in, in this passage here in Exodus where um, they're, they're escaping from the Egyptians. Another place where we see Jehovah's power um, is in 1 Kings um, chapter 18. This is um, dealing with Elijah. Elijah is um, on Mount Carmel and he's the, the prophets of Baal. There's a challenge going on where they're, they're both trying to see whose God can bring fire down on the sacrifice that they have prepared. And so this, this passage here comes after the prophets of Baal have spent hours cutting themselves and dancing and doing everything they can think of to get Baal to call down fire on the sacrifice. And, of course, nothing happens. And then, um, in verses 36 through 39, we see Elijah come to, to the altar, and we see what he does. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that his people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. An incredible display of God's power, of Jehovah's power um, for his people. In this um, passage, he's not saving them, but he is I'm not, not saving them from a physical threat, but he is displaying his power to them so that way they will turn from idol worship and they will turn back to him. He's displaying his power for that purpose. Um, and, and again, this is something that no other shepherd is able to do. No other shepherd can rain down fire from heaven. Um, there are so many things that um, other shepherds I cannot do. Other, other shepherds may lead their sheep to pasture to get for them to provide food for them, but only God can bring manna out of the sky to feed his people. Other shepherds may be able to lead their sheep away from a lion, or maybe if they're a really good shepherd like David, fight off the lion, but only God can shut the lion's mouth. God is a shepherd of unimaginable power like no other. And, um, but God's power is not the only one of his attributes. It's a very important one, and it's one that when we look as, at the Lord as our shepherd that we often miss. But just uh, the next chapter over, um, we see an, an interesting um, change in dynamic in how um, God acts towards Elijah, where it's not just his power that is being displayed so after God displays this power, raining down the fire on the sacrifice, and the people are repenting and saying, the Lord, he is God, uh, Elijah has um, an interesting uh, mindset. So uh, after this, there, there's the, um, the, Israel had been in a drought for a long period of time, and um, there's, there's rain that um, ends this years-long drought, um, Elijah returns to Jerusalem, and there Jezebel, the, the, the queen, threatens to kill him, says that he's going to be dead by this time tomorrow, um, and Elijah runs into the desert, and he prays for God to kill him, which is somewhat confusing when you look at all that he's been a part of in the past day or so, or however long that period has been, where he's seen God do miraculous things. He's seen people turn to God, yet here he is running to the wilderness and praying for God to kill him. He's, he seems very depressed. Um, after God, he prays for God to kill him. God, of course, doesn't kill him, but he allows him to rest. He feeds him, and then he sleeps again, and God feeds him again and says, you've got a long journey ahead of you, and um, Elijah then walks 40 days to Mount Horeb, which is called the Mount of God. And if you remember, that's the same mountain that Moses met God on in the burning bush. Elijah is going to that mountain. And we'll see why straight from Elijah's mouth in just a bit. But in here, um, once Elijah reaches Mount Horeb, um, 1 Kings um, chapter 19 talks about what goes on there. And he, that's Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night in that place. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, I just want to stop right here. Here we see yet more displays of God's power. A wind, an earthquake, a fire brought about by the power of God's presence. But this isn't where God stops. He continues to show another aspect of his character, which is something that Elijah really needs at this point in his life. Um, and, after, uh, and after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle um, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So after, one of the things that we see here, if you were very attentive, you could see that God asked Elijah the same question twice. He asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And both times, Elijah responds with the exact same thing. You could sum it up as, I want to serve you, but no one else does. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me. And that can be a somewhat depressing thought. I'm serving God alone. Nobody else is here to help me. And all the people who, are, who aren't serving God, not only do they not agree with me, but they want to kill me. That is a, a hard thought to deal with. And Elijah is almost, it seems, fed up. He wants to do what's right, but he, seems, he feels alone. And that's when God, after his displays of power, he comes in a still small voice, a voice of peace, and he gives Elijah a, a, something to do. He gives him a mission. And his mission here is um, anoint this person as king of Syria, anoint a king of Israel, and go anoint somebody as a prophet. Now, that, those are big commands. Those are very important things that God is calling Elijah to do. And I, I imagine being in Elijah's place you feel so depressed, you are ready to give up. But God does not give up on Elijah. God doesn't push Elijah away and say, okay, you want to die? Okay, I'll kill you, I'll find somebody else. He doesn't push Elijah away and say, yeah, you, you're kind of depressed, you don't seem like you're, you're in the best mood for serving right now, I'm just going to um, put you away, I, I'm done with you, you know, good job, but go sit on the bench, I'm finding somebody else now. That's not God's response. He responds by giving Elijah a mission and encouraging him that, that he's not done with Elijah yet. 
And we, we see this in the, in the New Testament as well with people like um, Peter, who denied God, de- denied Jesus three times, but God was not done with him. He restored him and sent him out to, to preach the gospel. He preached the gospel at Pentecost where thousands got saved. He, he was preaching the gospel to others. God was not done with Elijah, and God was not done with Peter after they made mistakes. God knows how to comfort each one of us in the circumstances that we're in. What works for Elijah right there wouldn't have worked for, for other people in the Bible or for us at specific times when we're discouraged. But God knew how to encourage Elijah in his situation. God knows how to encourage each of us in our situations as well. And uh, this brings me to my second point, that Jehovah is a shepherd of unimaginable peace. The peace that Elijah must have felt, knowing that even though I failed, even though my mind wasn't in the right place, God is not done with me. That, that is an incredible peace that Elijah must have felt at that time. Um, and, and, we, and we see that, that peace in Psalm 23. So if you look down in verses 2 through 4, um, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the word peace itself doesn't appear here in these verses, but, but things like the still waters, restoring my soul, lying down in the green pastures, the comfort of his rod and staff, these are all words of peace, of, of comfort. And... Um, when we, when we look at the world's definition of peace, uh, Merriam-Webster defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, such as freedom from civil disturbance. If you look at other dictionaries, other sources, a lot of the things that they will um, use in their definition is the idea of a state of no war between nations, a lack of disturbance, or tranquility and, and calm. And I don't think that these are biblical definitions of peace. Now, these are definitions of peace that are are good in some contexts, but I don't think this is what the Bible talks about when it mentions peace. All of these definitions here are based on the external, things that are going on around you. There's There's no war around you, no disturbances, and because of the things that are going on around me, I'm at peace. But that is not the biblical idea of peace. The biblical idea is slightly different. Let's look in um, Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing this book from prison. In chapter 1, he states that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Suffering does not line up with the world's definition of peace. But the Bible's definition of peace 
is not based on what's going on around me. It's based on what is going on in me. What is God doing in my life? And you see, um, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And then in the last verse, the God of peace will be with you. God is a God of power, yes, but he is a God of peace as well. And he has promised to, to be with us if, if we're following him. And it, that is what provides peace, is God being with us because he is a God of peace. And the peace of God keeping your hearts and minds. So no matter what is going on around you, you can still have peace. And that is why David says in Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's the presence of God that brings him peace despite everything that's going on around him. And uh, what, what, why can we have this peace um, uh, in God? And I think one of, the, one of the big things why we can have peace in God, and it goes back to my first point, is that he is a shepherd of unimaginable power. God's power helps to provide us peace. We wouldn't have peace without his power. It says that we are in the valley of the shadow of death, but fearing no evil. Look at, um, so yeah, his, his peace is a product of his power. So if you look at 1 Timothy 1, um, 9 through 10, uh, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, talking about God, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us to, to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our shepherd is more powerful than death. This is who God is. And, and only in, in the presence of a shepherd who is more powerful than death can we walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fearing anything. God's peace is provided because of his power. But his power alone does not provide peace. It is also very important that God is a loving God. If God were just powerful and not loving, that would not be, provide peace. That would provide fear and, and terror of what God might do next. But God is a loving God. And we, we see um, in, in John chapter 10, for example, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Um, and then later on in John, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. This is God's love. God is so loving that he, he laid down his life for us. That is an unimaginable love. And because of that love, um, we can have peace. If we look at Romans, we, we see that God's sacrifice of his son is indicative of what he will continue to do for us. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God, didn't, if God didn't think that his son was too great of a gift to give us, what could possibly be too great of a gift? Nothing. God is going to give us all things. And that's not like if you want a Lamborghini, God's going to give you a Lamborghini. Because we have to remember that God's idea of good is not our idea of good. And sometimes that is hard to accept. We think we know best, we know what we want, and if God doesn't give me this, then it's because, you know, he's not as good as I thought he was. 
But that is not true. We see God's love for us by giving us his son. So when we, we don't get something that we want or God gives us something like a trial or a challenge that we don't want, we can look back to him giving us his son and saying he is a loving God. And the things that he are, is giving to me is because he is loving. He's going to give me good things because he is a good father, he is a good shepherd, and he is loving. We, we, um, and one of the things that we, we see here as well, that he, he's giving us all things, that brings me to um, my third and final point, and that is Jehovah is a shepherd of unimaginable provision. If you look at the, the very first verse again of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It means I will not lack. Do we really believe that? What we say that when we repeat Psalm, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But when it comes to our daily lives, do we really believe that we will not lack? If we do, then we won't complain when we don't have something that we think we should have. We won't complain when God gives us a trial that we don't want. We won't complain when we don't have the money that we want to buy to afford something. We won't complain at all because we know that God is going to supply and we will have no lack. If I believe this, I won't make my, my, any lack that I perceive an excuse for not doing what God is calling me to do. If God is calling me to a certain ministry, if God is calling me for a move, to quit my job, to go serve him somewhere, if I truly believe that the Lord is my shepherd and I will have no lack, I won't make the excuse of, yeah, maybe, that's God, maybe God's calling me to do that, but I, I don't think that's the right thing because I don't have what I need in, in this area. I don't have the finances to follow God's calling here um, I, I don't have the support around me to make this decision. If God is calling you to a decision, he will provide the means for you to make the decision that he wants you to make. We, we see um, in uh, Psalm 84, uh, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. God is going to give me every good thing by his definition of good not my own. And it can be difficult when we, when we truly believe that something is good and God is not giving it to us. And, and sometimes it might just be it's not the right time. Sometimes it might be that, that is, we are never going to receive that, but we have to trust that God knows our good better than we do. And when we, when we look at God's, God's love, God's power, and who God really is, it's excessively arrogant to think that we know our good better than God does. My, my definition of good is often twisted by, by sin, by selfishness. I want this. If I always had my own way, things would not turn out well. Um, but, but as we saw in, in Romans earlier, if he gave his own son up for me, I can trust him to provide what is truly good for me. I can trust his judgment and I can rest. God, even though I don't have these things, you will provide them in your timing if it is your will. And I trust that your will is what is best for me. 
We see um, in the end of, of Psalm 23 here, these last two verses, we see God's provision as a shepherd here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we see uh, two aspects of his provision. He provides for our present needs. Um, He's preparing a table before us, anointing our heads with oil. My cup runs over. These are all present things, things that God is doing for us now. Um, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There is a a, a future um, provision as well, but, but still within this life. So we know that in our life on earth, God is providing for us. Um, and then in, in the, in, at the very end there, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He provides for our eternal future. We may, we may struggle at times. We may th- feel that God is not good, that God is not providing, but God does not cease to be good during those times, and he does not stop blessing even if the physical blessings stop, because we have spiritual blessings as well. God is providing all spiritual things for us. The presence of the Holy Spirit um, and, the, and the encouragement that that is. Um, Elijah didn't have the Holy Spirit when he was disp- depressed and discouraged to encourage him in those times. Um, he talked directly with God. We have the Holy Spirit with us at all times, and it will call to remembrance things of the scripture, remind us of passages, remind us of God's goodness, his faithfulness in the past, whether that's in our lives or or the lives of those around us or um, back in scripture, we can see God's faithfulness and we can trust him even if the circumstances around us are not good. Because remember, peace is, biblical peace is independent of the circumstances, and, and mo- the most important thing that God provides for us is our salvation. So that way we can have that eternal future. So we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's something that is only provided by salvation, by repenting, by believing in God and accepting his gift. And that is his ultimate provision. And really an unimaginable provision. We can't possibly fathom what heaven is going to be like I mean, uh, free from sin, no, no temptation, eternity. Th- these are things that we can't really grasp. We, we live our lives in, um, in, in a finite world. This, this world is not going to last forever. Everything around us comes to an end at some point. And so to imagine an ultimate good world that never comes to an end to imagine a world where we will no longer be bound to these, these bodies that are um, racked with sin, with pain, to, to not have the, the constant temptation to sin, that is an unimaginable a future eternal provision that God will give to us. Um, and if, if we look at um, 1 Peter, we see that, that God has given us um, a, a, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That is an incredible promise, that God has reserved this. It's incorruptible, undefiled. Nothing can shake it. Nothing can make it, any, make it worse. Nothing can make it lose its perfection. 
It's never going to fade away. It's going to stay perfect for eternity, and it is reserved for you uh, if you're kept um, through God's power in faith through salvation. If you trust in him, that applies to you. This is who our shepherd is. He is a shepherd of unimaginable power. When we look at and see the things that he's done in the Old Testament and things that he's done in the New Testament, things that he has done in your own life, maybe, um, or, or the lives of those around you, when you see God working things in miraculous ways and w- when things turn out so much better than you could possibly expect. God is a God of power. And even if we only see that easily in the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament, is the same as the God today. God never changes. His power is constant. He is still a God of unimaginable power. And because of his power and his amazing love, he is a God that provides unimaginable peace. And um, his, his peace is also because of his unimaginable provision. That even though things are going on around us, we know that there is a future inheritance reserved in heaven for us. And that provides unimaginable peace. When we look at who Jehovah is, who our God is, who our shepherd is, why would we not follow him? The things that he's promised to us, who he is, his amazing love, it would be illogical to look at all those and accept all those as true. And then when God commands us to do something, say, yeah, no, thank you. I'm going to do this my own way. It, it doesn't make sense. When we look at, a, a, this is an analogy of a sheep and a shepherd. When we look at sheep and shepherd in real life, the, the sheep have to follow their shepherd if they want the green pastures and the still waters. If you, if you look at a, a shepherd with a bunch of sheep who are in the green pastures and another sheep over there wandering around eating sand in the desert, why is that sheep over there? It's because it wasn't following their shepherd. Um, the same, same thing with, with, the, with the still waters, with these, these blessings, the things that the shepherd provides for the sheep. It's because the sheep are following the shepherd. Why would we expect to have the things promised to us in Psalm 23 if we're not following the shepherd? Yes, God sometimes, God gives blessings on the just and the unjust. But to look at this and say, God, you're promising peace. Why don't I have it? If you're not following God, well, that's the answer to your question. We, it is arrogant to expect these things that God has promised without following him as the, the contingency for these promises. So my, my challenge for you today is to take the next step in following your shepherd, whatever that is in your life. Um, maybe you need to take the first step and turn in faith to God, repent of your sins, and accept his gift of salvation. Um, maybe you need to give up a certain sin, or maybe you need to step out in faith along a new path that God is calling you to. Um, Whatever that next step is that God is calling you along, take it. Jehovah is an unimaginable shepherd, and following him will always be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are a God of unimaginable power, unimaginable peace, and unimaginable provision. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for your love, for the sacrifice of your son on the cross, and for the promise of an eternity with you. I pray for uh, all of us in this room today that we would be willing 
to, and eager to follow you, that we would not let um, our own selfishness or the lies of the devil get in the way and tempt us away from following you, but that we would follow you whatever your next step is for us, that we, that we would wait patiently for your guidance and commit to following whatever it is that you would have for us because of who you are and because following you is worth it. I pray all this in your name. Amen.